0: Podcast. Law school is always a tricky topic for me because I didn't enjoy it at all. Um, I didn't like the people very much. I didn't like many of the professors. I didn't enjoy the, the process of, of, um, of trying to learn how to be a lawyer. I just, this just wasn't for me, but I knew I couldn't quit. I sort of committed to it and I'd already quit another graduate program. So I had to finish law school and get a job. So I just grounded out. I was dating this lantern jawed lesbian. I don't, I, I just look back at it and I go, what were we doing? Um, but, um, so uh, I, because I was not that good of a student, and also I think probably still had uh, longish hair and maybe, you know, whatever, I, I was not a responsible, clean cut, gonna go into the big law firm. Um, Looking person, and I, and I occasionally I got clerkships, but occasionally I did not as well. So one year, my buddy Eric, who was one of the great things that I that I um, that happened to me in law school, because he's still my friend today. But uh, my buddy Eric, whose wife is Japanese, hello Ayumi, um, they they he was clerking in Japan in Tokyo, and they were living together. And they invited me to come over and, and see Japan since I didn't have half my summer filled up. You know, He was going to be working, but I could do whatever I wanted, sleep on the floor. And I was like, I'm coming. Um, and I did. I flew over there. And I get there. And I don't remember the name of their uh, the district that they were in. But it was like, ooh, something or other. But The Foreigner District. And they're in a, uh, I mean, this is the smallest little efficiency I've ever seen in my life. This is 19... 19- 98 or something and it's $2,000 to rent this tiny little box with a pressure cooker and when you're taking a shit or taking a shower you know stuff you're literally about three feet from the bed that's how crammed in everything is and I and the you know, day is night night is day and uh and I'm sleeping on the at the foot of their bed <laughs> it was just it was it was it was nuts so I can't do that for very long and I um, so I, um, uh, I, I'm, I'm going to, Hey guys, I'm going to have to go, you know, see some other stuff. And I think Eric took me out and showed me, you know, one neat town and he was, they were extremely gracious. I just couldn't do it to him. Right. So I get on a train and, oh, there's two parts of this story. All right. So let me tell, let, let me tell about how I got lost at the temple. Yeah. Okay. So never. No, I'm going to tell the other part. So what happened was, I uh, I hopped on a train, and I was think I was going to go. This this all ties in together. I was going to go to Kyoto. I think it was Kyoto. Anyway, some temple area, and and I got on a train, and those trains, you know, just go whatever it is, 150 miles an hour, and and it was it was it was. You know, it was middle of the day over there and I just went straight to sleep, just conked out. And I didn't, no one woke me up. I was on that train for hours and I went way beyond whatever town it was that I was supposed to go to. And when I woke up, it was still light outside and we were in the mountains in the bottom of the valley. And there's a mountain on either side of us and it's very verdant. And there's kind of low hanging mist all over the mountains and there's just rice paddies everywhere i mean i, I was probably I, maybe i'd gone 500 miles from tokyo and i had not intended to go anywhere near that and i don't speak any japanese other than i could say sume masan um and which is the Sumimasan kyoto Sumimasan tokyo pointing uh but um i i i can't figure out what to do i know i'm I know I've been asleep for a really long time. So I just flagged down one of the conductors and I handed him my ticket, which even I can't read. And he looks at me like, "What?" Uh, <laughs> he's like calls his friend over to look at the ticket together to see how badly white he had screwed this thing up. And uh, and neither one of them speak English, but they're like they're just like make placating gestures at me and and uh, and they write a bunch of Chinese or Japanese characters on my ticket. And then they slow down the train. They stop the train for me. And when it stops, I get out and I'm on a little, like a, plat, a train platform. And there's one on either side of the tracks. And they like, I guess they pointed me to the one on the other side of the tracks. But these are like concrete blocks with this clear you know, plexiglass curved roof over them. And that's all there is. Like, there's no people around or anything else. There's this, this stop um, and in the middle of this valley, and I don't think that they normally stop there or something, I guess they can, but they've stopped the train for me to get on, get off or get off. And I get back up and, and, uh, I, I, I've still not expressed to anybody in English successfully what the, what's going on. And I don't really understand the plan other than I guess they're going to put me on another train and sure enough, another train goes, comes along going the opposite direction. I walk on. That conductor doesn't speak English either, but I hand him he reads the, the, the script that the guy's written all over my ticket and like, you know, what? Okay. And then he what he does is he makes sure that I am awake, like by coming by every fifteen minutes until we got to whatever city it was I was going to in the first place. So the Japanese are very gracious people. This is the theme of this overall uh, this this two-part meandering story. I get to my destination, um, and I'm by myself. I'm staying in a some kind of a youth hostel, and I go out to a, a bar, and it's very weird because I, I think I was, I think there was a, a, a man and a woman there, and I think they were both trying to pick me up at the same time they just the whole thing was quite bizarre so i like this japanese bar scene i don't know what's going on with it but it's not for me um and so um so i decided instead i'm going to hike up this mountain path which is only referred to in my guidebook like with a single line take the temple path up the blah 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 you'll get a spectacular spectacular view okay well, I don't want to hang out in the town anymore, so that sounds like a good thing to me. The head of the trail is at a temple with like a, they have like loudspeakers where they're doing prayers over it, and, and I can hear that for a while and I just start up the mountain. The path is cutting back and forth, and every once in a while there's like a little pagoda, I don't know what to call it, but a, a little shrine, and I guess that's part of the the deal of the, you know, whatever this path is about. And I never I know I don't know today. But I go up, and now every once in a while, there are, there's a little um, galvanized steel uh, stand, and then on top of it, there's some words written in, Jap- in Japanese characters, not anything in English at all. And I, I take it that it is talking, you know, it says something about the path that we're on, gives some important piece of information. But about three or four of these things in, I begin to notice that there are rocks placed on top of the bottom lip of these, um, these little plaques and like some there's one and some there's three and some there's four. And I'm like, what is going on? Why, why did someone put those rocks on the, on those plaques? And I keep on walking and walking up the the path. And I come to an area that's sort of at the top of the mountain. And, and, uh, I can't really exactly tell where the path is. Like, I've been following these. The the other thing that I should say is there were bird feeders along the path as well. And so you could kind of find the path up to that point by looking for the next bird feeder. And I went out into the woods and I found this like old decrepit bird feeder that looked abandoned. And I kept on walking after that. And then I just wasn't sure at all where I was. And this went on. I mean, I I got lost and I began to circle back and just like almost cutting trails, and I would find one of the paths that I'd been on before, and and it would be, um, and there you know I'd see those rocks on top of the little plaques, and I then I figured out that someone had really gotten lost as shit up there, and they kept on circling around uh, and coming back to the same pla-, pla path or plaque again because I had done that. And I could not tell where the fuck I was. The only thing that I had to go on was like in the, in the distance, I could hear the sound. It was like, and I thought that that sound was the, uh, the prayer call or the praying back at the temple through that loudspeaker. And so I was just like, well, fuck, I, I, I've been out here for two, three hours I've got some, you know, I've got some raisin rolls and some bread, but that's all I've got to eat. And I've got to get back there. I can't, I'm following these paths. I'm just going in loops. So I begin to walk straight down the mountainside. There's a bunch of tree falls. It's treacherous as hell. I am going to walk straight down the mountainside at what I think is the direction of this call. And... And I uh, finally, I come to the bottom. I like, I go all the way down to the bottom of the mountain and there's a path going right and a path going left. It's just like a, like a bicycle path, crushed dirt. So I take the path to the right and go all the way to its end, which is about a mile. And I come and it just comes to an absolute dead end in the side of a wall, like in a, not a wall, but, a, you know, um, in the side of a mountain and so then I go back and I go take the path in the opposite direction. Oh, and no, I I, I take a right and I go all the way in. And I can still hear the sound, and I get all the way to the end. Ah, I'm really butchered this. I re- get all the way to the end and I discover that it is a waterfall, and that I'll, I just I'm, I've taken a path to basically to look at a waterfall. And I'm just stopped there, and. And, uh, so I turn around and I go back down the opposite direction on the path and the path gets a little bit more improved as it goes along. Like you could tell there's more people in this area using the path and it gets a little broader, uh, less woodsy. And finally, I, I sort of push through some underbrush and I come out and I, by the way, I've taken my shirt off at this stage and I'm a very hairy person. Like, everybody in Asia is always making fun of how hairy I am. Hey, you monkey, monkey, ha, ha, ha. Um, oh, but, uh, so I'm dirty. I've got a hat on, but no shirt on. And really hairy, a little fatter on and soft around the middle. And I open up some underrush and come through. And I'm in a fucking Japanese day camp in the woods. Like, with a bunch of six-year-old children and seven-year-old children on a jungle gym. I don't know what it was doing there, but. I, I like come through and now everybody just runs away from me. <laughs> I mean, they're trying to act polite about running away from me, but they're running the opposite direction and the children are just gone. Uh, it's like Bigfoot or Yeti just sprang from the woods into this Japanese day camp. And uh, they, finally, someone summons the owner of the day camp was this you know probably mid-40s Japanese guy very mild and pleasant and um he speaks 10 words of English but his daughters are studying in the the, in the United States I take it and I'm like oh man I'm really lost um where and he's like where did you come from and I'm like well I was in Kyoto at this temple you know the temple and and I and he's like you were in Kyoto? And I should say this is about six hours into the site. You're in Kyoto, and, and he's like he can't fucking believe what he's hearing, and that I've come here from there because it's physically impossible. They're not connected by anything, and and uh, and so he gets. He's got an old hatchback Toyota Corolla, and he he uh, is like, I'll take you back, or you know, he's just gesturing to me to get in his car. My boots are. Filthy. I get in his car. I completely despoil his carpets. The car, thankfully, the car was in pretty shitty shape, but still, I mean, it was uh, the guy was being super, super generous, and he's telling me what he can tell me about, about, uh, about. You know his daughters and their studies, and and oh, and he's so nice. And I'm just oh well, let you know. Just here's my number. You know, if your daughters ever stay, oh well, here's where my daughters are. And he gives me writes out their address. No, writes out his own address and their address, and I, and and gives it to me and drops me off at this crappy youth hostel sort of thing that I was staying in. And and uh so I now I've got his. I, I have the ability, this guy, by the way, on the way home from his place, I saw a street sign and it said Kyoto was 17 kilometers away. He had to drive me 17 kilometers through the mountains to get me back to Kyoto. So I, I wanted to thank him and I had his address and I could have written to his daughters as well. And, uh, it was, you know, whatever. I, I could make up to, to this man for the fright I'd given him and this awesome gesture that he'd done and driving me, you know, 40 kilometers round trip dropping me off at the hospital while I got dirt all over his car. And so I took his number back to Austin. And when I got back to Austin, I took my old car out to the, uh, to, to the lake, Lake Travis and park where I usually park and, uh, left my wallet in the car. And I went down and jumped off the cliffs for a while, met somebody, son, myself, whatever I was doing. And then I came back and saw that my car had been broken into, and some motherfucker stole my wallet. And I would have, I would have given him every single thing in that wallet except for that goddamn address, so I could write a thank you letter. And so that guy, you know, I, to this day, that was 20 years ago. To that guy, to this day, I'm like, I wish I'd been able to thank that guy for driving me back from the, you know, this day camp to Kyoto. Um, so.